Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. If you have not listened before, thanks for joining us. I, Before we get started today, I wanted to give a shout out to some of our patrons who have been pledging the podcast. I am a little bit behind on doing this, um, so I apologize. And if your name hasn't been mentioned and you did do the $2 pledge, uh, $2 a month pledge, um, Podbean sometimes doesn't allow the um, names to come through or the proper names, so I apologize, but I would really like to say thank you to Delena Kagbai, who's actually one of our guests today. Um, We've got Alice Taylor, Steph McDowell, Eleni. (laughs) Now, Eleni is also a friend of mine, and I actually don't know how to say your last name, Eleni, so I... I'm so sorry, Uh, but she knows who she is. Um, We've got uh, Rachel, um, Rachel Andrew and Liza Coburn, Katie Richardson, Anna Richardson and Sandy Hilton, who has also been on this podcast before. So thank you to all of you who have been supporting the podcast. If you'd like to support, you can head over to podbean.com and um, put in the Pelvic Health Podcast in the search bar. You can cancel at any time. You are not required to do so. You do get access to some patron-only episodes. Um, And for those of you who aren't interested in doing that, thank you so much for just listening. And if you could head over to iTunes, if you're listening through Apple Podcasts app and rate the podcast that way more people can find this. Um, So today I'm talking to two amazing women that I'll go through their bios in a second, but they have come together with some other women to develop a not-for-profit association, which is called Nura Wellbeing. So the not-for-profit association's mission is to support women's well-being, specifically with regards to health and education. I'll put all the links in the show notes so that you can find where um, the where you're able to sign up. Being a member does not require you um, does not require anything from you, but they encourage you to take part in the discussions and we'll discuss that in the podcast as well. So today from Neuro Wellbeing, we are talking to Jenny Wickford. Jenny is a Swedish physiotherapist, yoga teacher, educator, and health enthusiast with an international heart. Her professional specialty and interest is pelvic pain and dysfunction. She did her PhD research in Afghanistan, focusing on learning and professional development of physiotherapists from an intercultural perspective, and she does talk about this a little in the the podcast. She has a keen interest in providing, developing, and promoting health services for people who do not have access to the help they need. This ranges from developing services for persistent pelvic pain patients and raising awareness about this condition to the education and support of women in low-resource settings with regards to their health and well-being. 
My other guest today is Delana Cogby. Now, if you've listened to the podcast before, she came on to talk about her research that she did on pelvic organ prolapse in Nepal. So head back and listen to that if you haven't. Um, But Delana has teamed up with Jenny as well as Carissa Dean and Fatumo Osman um, in order to bring us neuro well-being. Now Delena's um, bio, she's a physiotherapist from Australia with 16 years experience working in private practice. After completing her Master's of Public Health, she realized her interest in initiatives aimed at improving women's health in, re- in low resource settings. This led her to pursue a PhD at the University of Sydney, looking at increasing awareness and knowledge about conservative strategies to reduce the burden of pelvic organ prolapse for women in Nepal. Her research involved developing resources and training programs for local health workers in remote regions of Nepal. Her dream is to continue collaborating with other like-minded people who are passionate about reaching those who have difficulties accessing women's health services and information. And that's a lot of what we are talking about today. So please, I hope you enjoy this episode. Once you are finished, head over to neurowellbeing.com. Sign up for their newsletters. Take part in this discussion. Um, And I really look forward to seeing where this not-for-profit goes in the future. All right, enjoy. Thank you so much. I'm really interested in this not-for-profit. So it's called Neuro Wellbeing. And what is the purpose? So what are your objectives? What are you hoping to do with this? Um, change the world. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. One woman um, at a time. We, I think all of us have worked in low resource settings in some way. And I think find a frustration with the way things are. And there's a lot of work being done. There's projects being run around the world, but The work can't be dependent on organizations doing things. It has to be rooted more um, authentically, locally, personally. And also, there's so many issues. You know, it's easy to focus on countries like Afghanistan or Nepal. um, But we have a lot of issues that, you know, for all of us in our home bases. Uh, endometriosis, for example, is very, very poorly understood, and it's a huge issue for so many women. So there's there's so many things that pertains, you know, across the globe. Uh, so the idea we have at the moment is basically try to increase the discussion to get more people involved where they are. Um, and it's easy when we, when we talk about issues that relate to women's well-being, whether it's education, health, leadership, you know, there's so many different aspects to it, but when you talk about it, it's very easy to get stuck in a negative tone, Mm. uh, complaining about things, the way things are, or throwing shit around, depending on who, who you're talking about. And that doesn't really lead to any positive change. So what we're trying to do is support people to start discussing issues, but constructively to see and to also see that every issue has so many sides. And even if we don't agree with it, we need to be able to look at things 
a bit more comprehensively. And it's quite difficult to know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of the idea that we have at the moment. Yeah. And so you said your focus is on low resource settings, but that's not, it's not. Well, that's where, that's kind of where it started. Yeah. Because that's, we've all been involved in that kind of work and the need is so glaring when you're in those settings that it really shouts you in the face. But it's, I think the same issues are around the world. They just take different shapes. And we are perhaps better at hiding things sometimes. Yeah. Or we, we kind of push them in the corner and don't talk about them, but they're still there. Yeah. See, I think that's so, what I end up doing because I've never worked in a low resource setting. Um, yeah. I don't even think I've been to a country that, you know, I'm trying to think if I've even been to a third world country. Because you did, so you did your PhD. Can you just talk me through that a little bit? I did read a little bit and um, Delena's done a podcast on some of uh, her PhD, but can mm. you give us a bit of an insight as to what you did? Uh, well, I was in Afghanistan and I did ethnographic research of a development project that we were running, basically looking at learning and professional development of physiotherapists from an intercultural perspective. And I kind of came out of that ending up looking more self-critically at my own role in the whole thing mm. because I realized that who I am and what I think, you know, it's a huge impact. So it's, I think the project itself wasn't really anything terribly exciting, but it's changed the way I think. It was um, hugely educational. It was a great experience. Um, and working with these Afghan physios was tremendous. Yeah. I mean, I think they taught me more than I taught them. <laughs> uh, and that's actually where I started getting interested in pelvic health as well, because hearing these women tell their stories and just thinking, why aren't we doing anything for this? And then realizing that there's so much we could do. Yeah. So... Yeah. That that was kind of the start of it for me, I think. The beginning of my PhD when I was first looking at uh, women's health in Nepal and and um, the challenges there and my passion also of, you know, how can we help these women? Um, that, yeah, this, this other person introduced me to um, Jenny and... Yeah, it's it's a lovely thing when you get introduced to someone who really shares a lot of similar passions and and ideas and um, philosophies on on things. So um, I think we had some really interesting discussions and um, and the idea of um, pursuing this not for profit. Um, and I think from you know initial talks and even till now, our idea of where we want. Um, neuro to go it is sort of changing as as we go along but the huge learning curve for me and the work that I've done in Nepal is um, you know I saw this need and I come at it with this very um, western perspective on how you know we're just going to educate them and then it's going to help improve their lifestyle and their symptoms it's so simple um, but you know, it was a huge uh, learning curve for me in, in seeing 
um, you can never assume what another population might even need or want and I think one of the worst things is is to come in with your ideals and try and put them onto another group or culture mm-hmm. and I think that's sort of where we're sitting with Noura now is more about you know let's share stories what are women's experiences in different backgrounds and cultures and experiences so if we learn from each other um, that's that's one way we can help reduce some of these barriers that women face as far as even just the stigma of talking about women's health issues, which is an issue for everyone globally. So, um, I like how you um, have talked about sharing stories. So when you say you want to share stories and you want people to um, become members and talk about their own stories too. Are you talking about um, people who are going through having problems or issues or do you mean clinicians or are you wanting stories from every aspect? Yeah, that's what we were most recently talking about was um, getting all the different perspectives. Um, So that's, yeah, male and female and maybe people in low resource settings or high resource settings where um, we all have a story to share that um, connects us and and the more that we can learn from each other, um, I think the the better we can support and and boost generally um, our focus is women's well-being, but it's not just a women's issue, it's it's everyone's issue and trying to engage everyone is is what's what is essential in um, yeah in in working together, I guess. Um, but our our focus is, I, I guess, more along the inspirational stories, as Jen was saying. So um, where, yeah, they're uplifting, they're encouraging, they're, they're showing um, the, the things that we can achieve and we can do if we work together or if you, you know, pursue different, different strategies. Um, and I'm um, very pelvis centered only because that's where I'm working and doing a lot of everything right now Um, but this isn't just about pelvic floor issues and pelvic floor dysfunction you said it's women's well-being so what other you know if you can lead me out of the pelvis what other things are you trying to address well-being or health is such a broad concept there's so many things in that and I mean I'm I'm very pelvis oriented as well That's definitely my focus. Pelvic health and function is linked to everything else. We need to be able to see the whole picture. So education is a huge aspect. Women's autonomy or ability to work, um, innovation, leadership, all of these things are just as important. They're just different dimensions. Where do you want it to go? Is there somewhere that you're hoping to get to with this organization? I mean, it is a challenge when we're in four different countries. There's four of us and we're all spread out. Uh, And with time differences and getting meetings sorted. So everything takes time. And it is a work in progress. We've kind of started now with the newsletters and trying to build up a member membership base. 
It's like when you start a PhD, you have an idea and then it turns out to be something totally different when you come out the other end. And I think that's going to be the case with this, that we need to be open to where it takes us because it's also about what is needed and where is there, you know, what's the interest and then being open to that. For all of us, actually, we're kind of in transitional places in life, um, which means that sometimes you need to wait for things to settle before, you know, taking a big leap. And I think all of us are in that stage at the moment. So currently, we're, we want to build a strong base. And then we have these ideas on the back burner that I think will will happen. We do have a bit of a focus on education um, and seeing the need, particularly, again, with sort of pelvic health um, and pelvic floor disorders um, and looking at boosting education for even, you know, physios within the country or other health professionals um, and if we can improve awareness and upskill um, at that sort of level of health professional or paraprofessional health workers, then then they're the ones going out in the field making a difference for, for the women in the community. Um, but again, you know, it does take a lot of work because these concepts need to be culturally appropriate and, and come under the right um, tone for that community so what we might teach you know at university here in Australia it would need to be adapted for that setting and um, I think yeah you just need to make sure what you're doing is appropriate and will have the intended effect and can also be sustainable long term so they're not reliant on you specifically to be there to deliver it if we can create you know, products then and then um, that university or that group can continue to deliver it without us um, and, and keep, you know, modifying it and making it a better product. And um, that would be something exciting and worthwhile, I think. Yeah, and, and like you said before, Delana, we have to be, it's so easy to sit in our comfortable corners of the world and thinking of the adventure of going out and doing something but it has to be coming from a very specific need, not because we have decided that this is important to do, because we think so. And that's a really hard balance. Um, and I personally am very cognizant of the imbalance and power issues and the whiteness we have, you know, all of these things that are problematic in doing this kind of work. But there's so many possibilities now with, you know, with online resources, maybe being able to develop training packages that can be adapted locally somehow. There's, there's a lot of potential to explore with the technology available. Now, hopefully it's not the most ignorant question because I've not been to these low resource settings or communities. Um, what is technology like in the places that you have been to? So you talk about educating, you know, other professionals that can take it to the community. Can any of this 
from a technology point, reach some of the women or people in the community, or does it have to be a bit higher up to trickle down? Well, I can only speak for the places where I've been, but um, Afghanistan, for example, you know, they skipped the whole landline phone thing. They went straight to phones. And everyone I know has a smartphone. So technology is very available. And there's a lot of very clever innovation in terms of using that technology. So I think that's another thing to to not assume that we, we know best because we don't, but to maybe find what's, you know, what's already going on and see is there something we could feed into. There's much more than, than we realize. Yeah, see, I keep imagining the pictures that I'd seen where Delena had gone to do some of your research and I thought oh my goodness like looking at some of your photos I thought will will they have any you know what do they have there yeah they they have mobile phones but they're not smartphones um so and uh in rural communities they might only have power for about three or four hours a day um, so they are still very reliant on um, sort of face-to-face verbal education or even leaflets or posters in the health outpost and community groups. Um, so in that case, the technology wouldn't be suitable for the, the remote communities. Um, but in the more urban centres, then yes, they all have internet and access. So it varies depending on where they live. Yeah, Yeah, sorry, I think I was thinking rural straight away. That's why I was Uh, like, how are you going to reach the women in the rural communities? No, that would be the same. Yeah, that would be the same in Afghanistan. It does. But again, we that's where we have to be a bit mindful because reaching them, you know, we're coming from such a different world. So maybe more finding people to collaborate with, like key people. And again, the hope would be that we have people, members from countries all over the world, and maybe they're the ones to do the work. We don't need to do it. So if we can get a broad membership base with people from everywhere, then maybe we can start collaborating along the same lines, but people can adapt that to their context and they, you know they know it I think that would be amazing that would be amazing and it's not um, you're not asking for money either which no everybody it's, loves as well <laughs> well we don't want to get into the money thing because as soon as it's obvious you need to have money to cover costs if you're developing a product or whatever but it shouldn't be about the money because as soon as money is involved it gets very complicated and political and that's not the point. The point is if we all just go into it with the idea that it's, it's a mutual learning thing, it's collaboration. And that's a baseline, what we need, I think for health, we need each other. So if we can build on that, I'd say that's the way forward. We are looking for people to become members and, Yes, it's free and all it does is it means you'll be on our newsletter list, which you can always opt out of if you don't want to receive it. But at this stage, we're trying to develop a quarterly newsletter that will have a different theme and um, we want to share stories within that theme 
and they can come from members or um, member friends of members or whoever that might have a story to share on that particular theme. Um, but within that, we're also um, going to provide some discussion um, questions. And what we'd love to see is that these uh, discussion questions will bring people together, um, whether it's informally or in a formal way, um, bringing um, people around the world, talking about some of these topics and issues in a really um, productive and positive way so that uh, it creates conversation and helps people to just learn about other people's perspectives and ideas so we sort of envision that as being like you could have a, a craft night or a walking group or a cheese and wine club and you get your, your friends together and um, make it an evening of going through some of these discussion questions uh, as a group um, so that, yeah, we're just encouraging people to, to think a little bit about what's their perspective and, and asking other people what are their ideas on certain points because often you might not even know where you stand on a certain issue or you might not know what your friend's point of view is unless you specifically kind of ask and have that discussion so that's kind of what we're hoping will happen around the world do you have or do you want any support from like our physiotherapy governing bodies in either countries any of the countries as long as we're all on the same page, any kind of collaboration is good. I don't know. What do you say, Delena? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The more the merrier. I think so, too. I think we're, we're very open to if, if people have a similar passion or interest then seeing what we can achieve together rather than being little independent soul mm. people that, mm. yeah. It just it, when you talk about like getting together with your colleagues or your friends and going through some of the discussions and talking. Um, I mean, we're always. I used to be on the committee for our kind of local Australian Physiotherapy Association years ago, but I know that they're always trying to come up with other ideas, not just to educate each other or have a lecture or someone come in, but to promote discussion and um, collaboration. So. Um, that would be fabulous. Yeah, well, we'll throw it out at CAF. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, if, if anybody's, if anyone's listening, they, everyone can contact you. Your details are on the website, which I'll link as well. I guess we could just mention it is uh, we don't have you know we we're not funded in any way and that's not what we're about. Mm. Um, Fatuma and I wrote a book. Um, it's very much based on our own experience and research, but it's about intercultural collaboration. Um, and all of the proceeds from that book go to Nora Wellbeing. And, you know, that covers website costs and all of these practical bits and pieces. So I uh, can just put that out there if anyone's interested. Um, and is that linked through the Neuro Wellbeing website as well? Or yeah, is that a it's, it's on okay. there. Because I've never been involved in anything like this and I don't have the experience that you guys have had with some of your research, I come at this so ignorant in my little western bubble in private practice have never worked in hospital you know the play i'm from canada 
you know, I visit places that generally, you know, speak the same language or maybe they're French or it's just, it's this little bubble. And that's why it was really interesting hearing what you were saying, Jenny, but Delana, your story um, on the last episode as well about how you go in thinking, you know, yes, your plan is to change the world, but you have your <laughs> idea of how you're going to do it and that you're going to go in to a different culture and a different community um, and tell them what the problems are and how to fix it and think that that is how it works when, yeah, it's not. And, and how you learn so much. That's, you know, there's a lot of, I think with most of these things that um, we do and everyone does, it's from a genuine interest in wanting to help. But there's also a danger in that because we need to be very mindful um, of do people even want to be helped and on whose terms. Uh, and it's a great lecture we have to be able to travel like that. I mean, I've, I have such a strong memory of uh, one of the women that I was working with in Afghanistan, and she said, I wish I could do what you are doing. And it just hit me that, shit, I am so fortunate to be able to travel, move around. I get interested in these things. I follow them through. And most people don't have that chance. Mm -hmm. And so... It almost feels like a responsibility, you know, how, how do we use this in the best way that we can yep. and yep. not run over people in the process. Yeah, I think that that curiosity and desire to, to use, yeah, the privilege we have, I guess, you know, for me growing up in Australia, I, I've had everything at my fingertips as far as healthcare and education and that's just from being born here I've had no choice over it but and then you go to other countries and it just doesn't seem fair you think well, what what can we do you know to help but um it's interesting trying to marry up your idea from a clinical perspective as, as a physio and then now from a research perspective because you want to provide best care and evidence-based care. Um, but I think that a lot, and in particular, my expertise is more around the pelvic floor. Um, but a lot of the evidence has been conducted in Caucasian, you know, women living in urban settings that are mostly well-educated. And that's our gold standard treatments but it doesn't apply to a lot of women, even within Australia, you know. Um, and interestingly, I was at a talk talking about, you know, pelvic floor muscle training and, and we know, you know, that individualised assessment and treatment is, is best. We know that. That's fine. And often they need, you know, four or six one-on-one -on -one sessions to really get the benefit of of your your intervention so at the end of the talk I asked you know what if that's evidence what do we do <clears throat> to help women who can't access a women's health physio um, and definitely can't access them you know four to six times and she responded um, 
well, we need to ensure what we do is evidence-based. And I said, okay, that's fine, but if that's not possible, um, then, and she said, well, you'd be providing suboptimal care. And I just thought, oh, dear, like, yes, in a research perspective, yes, I understand, but it, to me, I just feel like that's, that's not good enough. And the evidence we have is not applicable to every population and culture. So uh, we can't say what is or what isn't best care for these groups of women. <laughs> and even the evidence we have, and I apologize in advance, but I'm, I'm quite critical, but even the evidence we have is from a very specific perspective and view and understanding of the body. And there's other ways of understanding the body and there's other ways of getting the exact same result with doing different things. Mm. I think we also need to be very mindful of what does an RCT tell us and how much can it tell us? There's so many things that we're not looking at. You know, we're not backing up and looking at why did it end up like this in the first place? So this is not, we're not finished. No. means, And I think the great value of opening up the discussion, both definitely interculturally, but even interdisciplinary, is that all of a sudden it enables us to ask different questions about what we're doing, and maybe there's other ways of understanding. So evidence is not static, it's, you know, it's changing all the time, and maybe we also can find other ways of providing evidence. When we are stuck in this bubble and we read the research that's in the bubble and we all of our friends are in the bubble, we don't even yeah. know all of these other things that, you know, are right. going on. And and there is so much going on and a lot of it is closer to home. Hmm. And I think that's another point to make that we don't, it's not about everyone going across the world because there is so much to do right where we are. Like we said at the beginning, maybe we can start asking different questions to get out of that bubble because running around in the same bubble, that's not really taking us anywhere. No. So these newsletters and discussions that you're going to do are going to promote us getting out of the bubble, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> what, what kind of stories would you want from um, people stuck in bubbles? Tell us about your bubble. Talk about the bubbles. No, okay. But that's the story as well. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no, better or worse story yeah. because every little piece gives insight into that so and the thing about bubbles we all have our bubbles it's just yeah. that to us the bubble in relation to everyone else right yeah I'm assuming so, there's nothing else out there like what you're doing or you would have collaborated with them not that I've seen everything that I've seen has been more project-oriented yeah. So there's a lot of cool things out there, but it's uh, collecting money to run projects. Yeah. I hope that, you know, we can get people to hear this and um, sign up and contribute and discuss and learn. And um, yeah, it would be really good. And if people want to get involved, I mean, at the moment, there's four of us. If people want to be on board, someone wants to be the chairperson, you know, it's if people want to get more involved, then that's fabulous let us know thank you so much for for giving me your time um and sharing all of this and um we'll have to like do a review in a year or two and see where it's gone 
Thank you so much for your interest, really. Yeah, thanks, Lori.